0: Welcome to the Modern Husbands Podcast, where men share ideas to manage money, the home, and a life full of experiences with our partners. We are honored to have Dr. McCoy in today for her to share practical tips for talking about and managing finances with your spouse. Dr. McCoy is a faculty member at Kansas State University, where she leads the Financial Therapy Certificate Program. She received her PhD in Human Development and Family Sciences with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy from the University of Georgia. Her research interests truly focus on financial therapy and how to create more empirical evidence to support work that she has been leading to change the lives of folks through clinical experiences. Dr. McCoy, thank you for joining us today.
1: Well, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Well, we we want to dive straight into it. Uh would love to hear why you're so passionate about financial therapy.
1: Yeah. I honestly, a lot of it was luck. I was at university of Georgia actually where Bruce and I met and I w- went to my PhD thinking that I would become a better therapist from doing more school, but it turns out doctoral programs are about research. So I'm sitting in staff yeah. classes and theory classes, like slowly being like, what's next. I like, I'm about to bolt town. And the financial therapy association came to town for their second ever conference and honestly 90% of the reason I went is that they gave me a free entry as a grad student and I walked into that conference and I saw a live demonstration of financial therapy and I was like oh my gosh my clients need this but I need this like I need to get my stuff together and so it, um, I actually had had at that point a hundred thousand dollars in student loans I probably didn't even know where they were housed at that point <laughs> like, so financially unhealthy so I started taking financial classes and the more I took financial literacy seriously, the better my relationship with money got, but also the better my relationship with my husband got, the more I felt like I was working towards something, the more I felt like I could help others. Um, it was just a really, I guess, selfishly helpful for me. So I want to help other people similarly.
0: I, I really appreciate how you pointed out that it not only helped you, but it helped deepen the relationship with your with your husband. Because ultimately, that's, that's our goal at Modern Husbands, right? We, we want to strengthen relationships.
1: Yeah. You know, my husband's naturally a saver and I'm not naturally a spender, but I'm naturally not conscientious of where my money's going. Like I'm very like penny dumb. Is that right? Like I'll spend it on like a, a soda vending machine and a coffee and things like that. It'll just add up over time. Whereas my husband's very regimented. And so prior to me getting my financial health right, it would be him saying save more but for what? Like not, I don't have that same, like I need to save for saving purposes. I needed to hear, you need to save for college, for your kids. You need to save for a house. You need to save for your, and so when we made that switch to putting financial goals first and, and the budget second, that helped me become more dedicated to our future together, if that makes sense.
2: It does. It does. Mm -hmm. Connecting, connecting that to concrete goals makes a huge difference, particularly, you know, in in today's ever, you know, ever more expensive environments, saving for saving purposes is literally throwing, it can feel like throwing away money, just sitting there losing value. So... Um, oh, that's that's brilliant. Um, and what do you do uh, at Kansas State?
1: Yeah, Kansas State is awesome. And I'm not even saying that because I worked there, but Kansas State was the first program that created a financial therapy program. We're also one of the few financial planning PhD programs. And so that combination of two things is amazing because we get to be in the front line, line of training financial professionals how to interact with their clients better, how to understand how to integrate psychology into their work, how to do financial planning therapeutically while also having these amazing doctoral students that are helping us and doing amazing research on what actually is working, what's not working, what do we got to do differently with our clients? So the actual behavioral access of financial uh, planning is so strong at Kansas State. So I am a faculty member there and currently the director of the master's program.
0: So when somebody goes through the program, are they, uh, is it somehow affiliated with or uh, at preparation for the certified financial planner examination as well?
1: Mm Yeah. So we have a huge history of the Financial Therapy Association working conjointly with Kansas State. We do look at financial therapy slightly differently. Financial Therapy Association is trying to create a new profession that is really something separate from financial planning and therapy. Us at Kansas State are trying to make the best financial planners. We want financial planners who do financial planning. I don't know. With all these skills and tips and techniques that'll foster trust, communication, and just okayness in our clients. So that's like a little bit different, you know. So we sure. do a discount for the CFT. Um, our classes are lined up directly with the objectives, but we're not a one-to-one kind of um, overlap.
0: So I mean, I'm imagining, I'm trying to imagine at least what the conversations must be like with with your husband about money, right? I mean, you're this, you're an expert at it. Um, but I, I can't imagine that it's something that comes easy for everyone. Um, so for for our listeners out there in particular, you know, we realize that having conversations about money can be really really tough. Uh, so you know, kind of a step by step process starting with preparation. How how as a partner, if you're listening right now and you know I I, I want to talk to my partner, my spouse about um, about money. How would you suggest that they prepare for that conversation? Um,
1: Well, you know, there's that expression like the shoemakers kids go shoeless. So my poor husband doesn't have as many advantages of being with someone who loves money and financial therapy as one would assume. He's actually very calm. And that's the trick. You know, it's recognizing your emotional state and be able to like say we need a break. We need to take a step away. Let's recircle back in a couple hours because I hate when people tell newlyweds to not go to sleep angry. Like sometimes you just need to go to sleep. Sometimes you just need a stickers bar and things will get better. Sometimes our bodies need to calm down so we can hear each other better. And so I think going into this financial conversation saying, we're not going to solve all our problems in one strike. We're going to just start because I've done some studies where it was like 80% of people had not talked to a single soul about money in over a year. Like Wow we don't have practice talking about money. So we can't do the entire budget in one sitting. It should be like, let's start small. Like, let's just talk about like how our families handle money growing up and see where we're the same and see where we're different and which ones we want to like throw out and never do in our own families and which ones are like, this is kind of cool. I wish we were kind of similar. Start there, like start small, then start with the dreams and goals in mind. And so you're not starting with the scarcity mining mindset you're starting with this abundance mindset of like this is where we want to go and then you can start working the tangible steps another huge piece of advice is bringing paper into things like we Hmm. stay calmer if we're focused on writing down exact words or thoughts it causes our brain to kind of switch back and forth from the left to the right side so we really yeah, so we can grab a piece of paper instead of focusing on like he's trying to tell me not to buy Starbucks. It's more like okay, together we're both focusing on sacrifices we're willing to make that won't make us feel like we're deprived. And that's really key to you know some mm-hmm. so many people go just to I get so much pleasure off of this thing and I know I shouldn't buy it that they stop buying it and then they end up spending more. Right? It's like you want chocolate cake and then you end up eating you know, chips and, and granola bars and all this other stuff. It would have been better to just eat the chocolate in first place. So finding a balance of not depriving, but saying, what's one little thing I want to do differently this month so I can reach that goal that we together came up with.
0: You know, we, we had on Dr. Dr. Combs earlier. And, and one of the things that, that he talked about was you know, basically breaking the brain into three basic parts, but I'm going to simplify it even more. You know, we, we have like system one, system two, like we have, a part of our mind where like we are the we are the pilot flying the plane and we're making like really rational, thoughtful decisions. Um, and then you know, primarily an autopilot, right? Where we're not really flying the plane, we're just kind of an automatic and we're responding to things emotionally. And I is is the idea of writing down parts of the conversation to kind of trigger your mind to to use the prefrontal cortex, that thinking part and pull it out of the emotional part of your brain. Is that, is that why you recommend it?
1: Yes. Yes. And then once you write on paper, you guys can nudge it a little bit. Like the best example is one of the best conflict resolution worksheets out there. It starts with state the problem. Have you ever, when you're having an argument, with your partner actually had to state the problem? He's no longer can you say you're being a jerk. It has to be something
0: yeah. between
1: you guys rather than in the partner, right? You have to come up with like a shared language that you guys are both working on. And that step in and of itself can be so dramatically life-changing. To be like, oh, we're teammates. We're working on this together.
0: I
2: like it. You know, you, know, you reminded me of Dr. McCoy is... You know how uh, you hear about the traditional uh, anniversary gifts, you know, mm-hmm. by, based on the year, you know, there's like wood and paper and I, I don't I don't know them. But gold done. and
1: silver, you're wood and paper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so which which one's paper? What year is paper? Because it should be like maybe year zero, so you can jot some of this stuff oh. down. You know Chapter One and fostering okayness.
1: <laughs> also, like when you were talking about the the thinking part of your brain or the reacting part of your brain, so often we're reacting to a conversation that happened six months ago or a year, and we're not really hearing what they're saying now. We're kind of like inserting, this is what they actually think. This is what they're actually saying based on that prior experience. And like, if all of us just believed, that we were not good mind readers and that our partner was actually saying what they were actually saying, like it would benefit us a lot. And if we weren't sure, instead of assuming saying, this is what I think you're saying, can you help me out? Could like fix all those problems. you know, like when you're watching the movie, you're like, why don't you just say one more sentence of this problem for the whole movie is gone. That's how we are with our relationships sometimes, you know?
2: You've given given us a, a deus ex machina. (laughs) to persevere through some of these challenging money conversations. Okay, so you talked about uh, two strategies already. So you've you've jumped ahead uh, beautifully and helped us segue into our next question. So um, you talked about breaking it down and sort of starting small, maybe even if that means going to bed angry every once in a while, you know, you've started. Uh, And you've talked about getting it down on paper to sort of transition your brain into that, uh, into that planning mindset what are some other strategies that couples can use when those money conversations are getting tough to manage the conversation keep it moving forward productively
1: yeah you know part of the reason money conversations are hard it feels so personal right like Like there was a great thing I heard one time where this guy was running around asking these people so such intimate details about their life, about past drug use and all this stuff. These people were just spilling their guts, right? And then they end the interview and say, how much money is in your account? And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would never tell anybody that, you know? And so sometimes it's so personal that another trick is that you really are at the beginning stages of being able to talk honestly about money. Don't make it about your money. Make it about like, what would you do if you won the lottery? What do you want your perfect retirement week to look like? Like make it like fairy tale almost to take some of the personal scariness out of it. And it can be just more about like your values underlying your money behaviors mm-hmm. rather than actually like don't go to Target this week or whatever it is. I kind of hinted at this, but always focusing on what you can do better instead of trying to focus on what your partner can do better. because. We always notice the hundred times we don't buy something, right? We we're like, oh, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that. Yeah. Our partner only sees the one time where we actually did buy something. The same thing's true for your partner is you're noticing purchases more than they're noticing it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Modern Husbands. We are a community of devoted husbands of working spouses who share ideas to manage money, the house, and a life full of experiences. Visit modernhusbands.com to learn more. I, we had dr hensley on uh recently and he he spoke at length about financial infidelity which we all know it's it's, it's a pretty significant problem i, I want to say um 43% of those who've been in a relationship have committed you know financial infidelity a deceit purposeful deceit around around mm-hmm. money um so it's it's real and it's occurring uh my question for you is if you're listening right now and you're wondering like hey have, has my partner done this to me or maybe you were the one who uh, has somehow lied to your partner about money like how do you how do you address that and still do it in a way where you hope to build trust or more trust with your partner
1: Yeah I think financial infidelity is fascinating as you said some of the stats show 40%, but it's amazing. If you ask someone directly, "Have you ever committed financial infidelity?" Numbers are so low, like 12%. Right? If you say, "Have you ever lied by omission? Have you ever pretended something is older than it was? Did you ever round down how much you spent on something?" Then all of a sudden, uh, rates skyrocket. And so, I think financial- uh, <laughs>
0: I, I did that. Hope asked me um, how much my tickets were to the last Ohio State game, and. And I rounded down from um, seven hundred and forty dollars to to one
1: hundred and fifty. Yeah, <laughs> That's better. So not that you're that transparent now. She's definitely going to hear this. <laughs> but yeah, you're not alone. I think most of us have done it at some point. Um, I think uh, I think that it's not always bad. Sometimes it's just protect. Our partner's feelings, like we don't want them to realize that we have so much money. Sometimes Mm. it is to avoid a conflict when you know at the end of the day it didn't really matter, blah, blah, blah. It could be our own money shame, like buying things that were kind of embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. So there's all these different reasons that financial infidelity occurs. And I think until you know the underlying reason, is it the lack of your assertiveness? Is it your money shame? Is it your not feeling like powerful around your partner. Like once you figure out the underlying reason for financial infidelity, then you can deal with it.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more on like, mo- first of all, money shame. And, and and like, I'm really glad you brought that up because I feel like that um, if somebody commits financial infidelity, like a, a natural assumption might be, well, they're doing something to me, but, but money shame isn't necessarily that. I mean, it's not some sort of intentional deceit uh, mm-hmm. to try to get your partner. Can, so can you dive in, into that a little bit? Yeah.
1: And let me be clear. There's a lot of financial infidelity that is terribleness. It is deceit sure. uh, It is having affairs. It's like highly linked because, you know, you're going to have to spend money on the new person versus your partner. And keep mm. it There's also a lot of links to addiction in financial infidelity, but the smaller indiscretions, I do think often have to do with shame or a lack of assertiveness. So either you're like feeling like guilt around your purchases. Maybe you're spending more than you want. Maybe you're buying things to cope instead of more healthy coping strategies. Um, Maybe you were taught as a child that, you know this kind of stuff was frivolous or that you didn't deserve this kind of stuff. So there's like a whole host of reasons that money shame can come up for us. And I think all of us have had some layers you know of buyer's remorse you know that they that afterwards you're like mm, that was selfish or that was wasteful or that was inappropriate after we bought something but sometimes if it's perpetual it's usually a sign of like maybe you are having some impulse of shopping or using it as coping yeah? buying things to make yourself feel better
2: mm-hmm. which is going to
1: help for a little bit
2: so i play a lot of pickup basketball You know, after work, I'll go down. There's a court a few blocks away. I live in in New York City. And when I'm playing, it's usually, you know, four on four or five on five. And if ever I do something selfish with the ball, you know, I dribble around for a while and I shoot myself without passing any other uh, selfish behavior on the basketball court. I'm immediately like so apologetic to these people that I don't know, utter strangers. However, in my relationship with my wonderful, amazing wife, if I do something selfish, you know, maybe I make a purchase, maybe I, I order takeout, even if it's not in the budget and I should be cooking anyway, you know, Um, any sort of small selfish thing. Right. Uh, I'm not as immediately, you know, remorseful. I'm not as immediately apologetic. What is going on with
1: that? Even like, mm, I don't, let me see if I can word it right. But it's almost like, you, you are remorseful and then you play out the argument and then you say, well, see, I have all these other reasons. And so it's almost like you won the argument in your brain before you present it to them. Like mm. I know she bought DoorDash a month ago. And so like, you're like, <laughs> you're playing out the fight. Whereas with the basketball players, you're not playing out their counter arguments. You do play out the car- counter arguments in your minds with your, your partner. And so it is hard because, you know, over a lifespan, hopefully we, commit 100 million indiscretions on each other because that means that we lived 100 million minutes with each other, you know? So there are going to be mistakes made. And if you see them as mistakes rather than like intentional harming of others, it, it, giving that benefit of the doubt to our partner is like the greatest thing for a relationship. If we could all be super gullible, it would be great. <laughs> as we're talking about financial infidelity.
0: <laughs> what is one... Simple step that our listeners can take from this this conversation, like that's actionable that they can do right now, yeah. um, that they can implement immediately in their in their relationship with their spouse and money.
1: Well, I think honestly, the best prevention for financial infidelity is having both partners engaged in the finances. It's so easy to have one decision maker and one person relinquish all financial responsibility. And usually, honestly, the decision maker likes it. You know, they get to have control. They don't have to worry about like navigating things. But the more both partners buy in, you don't have to do, you know, both of you guys don't have to do the exact same task around finances, but both of you should have passwords. Both of you should look at your accounts. Both of you guys feel like partners around finances rather than one person being decision maker, the less likely infidelity to happen because... Um, the person who is the decision maker will know that oh I could get caught more easily, and the person who is not the decision maker won't feel like they have to hide it because the other person's in charge. Does that kind of make sense? Like it does. Yeah, and so the more both partners say okay let's let's do this together. This is our future. You know, this is we're in it together. The less likely financial infidelity to happen.
0: So, so you're really talking about controlling money together. Not not necessarily managing money, which you can do, right? Those are two separate things. So control yeah. controlling money is deciding how it's going to be saved and spent and given, et cetera. Managing money is the action of like paying bills, building credit, et cetera. Um, so that's that's interesting that you brought up the importance of having joint control
1: right. over the money. And like joint awareness. One person is going to end up being the bill payer because otherwise bills will be forgotten. Like, oh, I've got you're in charge of target i'm in charge of you know mastercard usually one person has to be the bill payer and that's fine but both partners should have uh like account access like it's amazing sitting in financial therapy sessions realizing one partner doesn't have access to their credit card doesn't know how to log in to look at their accounts like it's very very common there's nothing wrong Mm. with it but both partners even though at the beginning we'll have some navigating both partners in the end will be happier if, if there's more egalitarianness around that.
0: You are a wealth of knowledge, Dr. <laughs> McCoy. Thank, thank you. Thank you for, for joining us today. Um, we will be sure to to share a link to, to Dr. McCoy's bio and some of her resources in our show notes. And for those of you who are subscribers, uh, we appreciate that and look forward to uh, future conversations. If you're not, you can subscribe anywhere to the Modern Husbands podcast that uh, you get your podcasts. And a great place to start is modernhusbands.com, where we have our podcast, but we also have a community of folks who are devoted husbands, that find it very important to help manage the home money and a life full of experiences with our partners. Thanks again for having us, Dr. McCoy.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: A big thanks from Dr. Ross, Christian, and myself to today's guest. And of course, our listeners, please remember to like comment and subscribe to today's podcast. You can find our podcast on modernhusbands.com or anywhere you download your podcasts.